everybody, and welcome to another episode of MTG Rants. I'm Tanning Grace. I'm joined by Ross Merriam today. And Ross, how's the new year treating you, buddy? It's 2023. I had to check on that real quick while I was the stage <laughs> just to make sure I said the right number. But uh, we, we got it right, Ross. Well, so far, so good on my end. I've done a lot of sleeping in the first two and a half days. <laughs> you look really rested, honestly. You yeah. also look like you got a haircut recently. I did. I got a haircut oh, uh, last Thursday or so, so Looking almost good. a week ago now. Looking good. Yeah, and uh, and uh, you know we I hosted the New Year's Eve party here, so uh, yeah, I saw the pictures was, of the food. I was very jealous. Yeah, that was Saturday night. That went well, and so su- Sunday was our recovery day, and then mm-hmm. Monday we kind of slept and cleaned up mostly, or finished cleaning up at least. Um, and uh, yeah, I took it kind of slow even today, so I'm 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 taking it easy, gearing myself back sure. after. You know, every time I go back home to Connecticut and then I've got, you know, New Year's, we're, you know, we're just hanging out, having a good time. So I've got about two weeks usually at the end of the year into the beginning of the new year where I do nothing. And then I'm like coming back from two weeks. I'm like, oh, shit, I've got to, you know, be a person again and, mm-hmm. you know, contribute <laughs> somewhat meaningfully again. to society. Uh, yeah. the, the so it, it takes some do, time yeah. to get back into gear, you know. Yeah, so like I, I identify with that like ninety nine percent because I've I've still been in the gym, you know, the last you know, whatever. You know, I still go my, you know, a couple times a week and do whatever I can. Um haven't had the it hasn't really been that different on the first, second or third of the year so far. Uh today being the third. We're doing this on a uh what is this, a Tuesday afternoon. It's three PM. I actually just got home from the gym and while I've noticed a few more people in the gym, it hasn't been crazy, but I also go to, like, one of the more expensive gyms in the area, not trying to, you know, be like, oh, yeah, I go to, like, you know, we go to one of the ones that's a little bit more expensive than, like, the, you know, I pay a lot more than, like, $9 a month, like you see for some of these places at the beginning of the year that are just going to be absurdly packed. You know, I have had to wait for some stuff, which is not normal, but it hasn't been a problem. And also, like, you know, just be nice to other people and be considerate. And stuff that's going on. Um, you know, how was Christmas? You know, you just talked about New Year's. Uh, I actually got a gift this year, and it was a pretty good one. I don't know about yourself. Um, yeah, you know, I got some things. Mainly things. Uh, I, I've basically got it down to three categories of things that I received for Christmas at this point. It is jazz paraphernalia. Sure. Uh, kitchen equipment. Sure. And winter clothing. Like, all of those are just things that I associate with you. Yeah. So I I got a sweater, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a mm-hmm. a pillow, sure. you know, a, a a jazz like jacket. So that's kind of overlaps sure. two categories, you okay. know. I got a a, a cocktail set with uh, you know the full shaker and yeah. bottle pour spouts with stoppers. The so things can that are do really like, cool that you'll never use. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, I already used it. What you will never use again? Sure. Uh, oh. Believe me, I've I made some lemon curd recently. So when you make lemon curd, you have to separate the eggs. So I've got a bunch oh, of sure. leftover egg whites. Yeah, I do that all the time. So, yeah. So that's now downstairs in the fridge, and I can shake up some drinks with egg whites in them and make myself like a gin fizz, sure. which are delicious but annoying to make because you need to have egg whites. I'm gonna try to. Yeah, that is actually annoying. I'm gonna try to show you my gift. I have it in my hand right now. I'm gonna pull it up on the camera and see if you can see it because mine kind of falls into one of your categories. And I got some small things, but this one's pretty cool. I don't know if you can see. Okay, this. I see a baseball with signatures, but I'm not gonna be able to make out the signatures. Can you read this up above it? Uh, oh, it's a world. Is it a World Series ball? Like this is you... a signed World Series ball by Ronald Acuna Jr. from 
2021. Yeah. And it says like 2021 champs on it and stuff. He didn't play in the World Series, but it is my favorite player. And uh, yeah, it's an actual official. This is an official World Series ball. Like it has all the, the stuff on it. Is it for, game for used or just one that they have? Uh, no, I don't think this is a game used ball. Yeah. But yeah, uh, it looks too nice. Yeah, it doesn't look like it's been put into play, you know, kind of stuff. So I have it sitting on my desk next to, like, my World Series ring replica, and then eventually I'll have, you know, uh, I have his World Series jersey as well, so I'll have that, like, tying into the whole thing. That'll be pretty cool. So that one was, that one was pretty nice. Um, other than, like, you know, i got a couple small things, like my usual favorite stuff, like boxers and socks and stuff like that. You know, stuff that's, <laughs> yeah, like, things you don't want to buy for yourself, but you need periodically. Yeah. Yeah, I have had to. I have had to buy a, f- a few of those things. I had to buy uh, more workout appropriate underwear, if you know what I mean. Because like, if you're if you're gonna go work out at the gym, you can't be wearing like loose fitting boxers or like when you're yeah. doing stretching stuff. Nobody wants to see that. You know what I mean? <laughs> Nobody wants to see the extra the extra guys. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I had to be a little more appropriate with that. Um, again, this is Tuesday afternoon, and we were you know, talking about what we were gonna talk about on the show and. Anyone who listens to the show know that we uh, reference sports quite a lot in here. And if you know anything that's been going on in the sports world in the last, what, about, you know, half a day, uh, really scary incident last night. Uh, I was watching the game live. I was, at a, I was at a poker room sitting at a poker table when it happened, and we had a bunch of discussion about what was going on. But the Monday Night Football game last night got suspended in the middle of the first quarter, and it do- I don't know if they're even going to finish this game or anything like that, but... There's bigger things to talk about here where we had a player have a cardiac event in the middle of a game and um, without speculating too much, without, you know, with the reports that we have is the man had to have CPR on the field for over five minutes and they had to use a defibrillator on him. And yeah. you could see it in the player's faces. Uh, look, if you want to go find this, I don't like it's not like one of those things where it's like you know, this injury is really bad or whatever, like, you probably shouldn't watch this. You know, there's there's some respect level there. Uh, it was just a hit. The guy got up, looked okay for about, what, half a second? For a second, I don't know if you've seen this, and then he just collapsed. Yeah. I was and watching live as well, so. It was one of the scariest things I've ever seen because, like, you could see, the like, you can tell how bad something is by the reactions of the players. You know what I mean? Like, I, I remember Gordon Hayward. You know, I didn't see the injury, thank God, because I don't want to see that, but you could just see the players, like, on the verge of vomiting, you know, and like this, you can see the players like literally crying on the field yeah. because like one of their teammates, like, I, you know, I said it, I said it at my table and someone's like, what do you mean? I was just like, they're like, you, you don't think they should play? I'm like, they just watched their teammate die. Like the guy's heart stopped. Like they had to use a defibrillator on him, you know, like, and it's one of the scariest things I've ever seen watching a sports game. And it's one of those things, it's like, whether you like football or not, you know, a lot of us were talking about this on Twitter and stuff last night. It's like, uh, you know, why are we still playing this game? Even though this is like one of those things, it's it, it could be a little different than like CTE and concussions and stuff like that. Like, whatever. We don't have to talk about that. But Do you know what the medical side of it is or likely is? Uh, I... I, have you have you had an official announcement about this? I haven't. No, I just I've just seen what cardiologists who watched it are saying. What the likely cause is 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 what just the the blunt uh, effect to the chest or something? Well, it's called commodio cordis. That's what they think it's is. Okay, so this yeah. is not official for anybody. So, yeah, sure. So basically, what happens is like the electrical cycle of your heartbeat happens in in certain waves. And there is a wave at the end that is basically like your heart kind of recharging and resetting for the next cycle. And if you suffer a blunt force trauma to the chest on the upsurge of that wave, it's like a milliseconds long window. 
So it has to be like but, a little perfect, yeah. Yeah, it has to, and or imperfect in, in this sure, case, maybe. Probably, yeah. Uh, so, but like, it's this tiny window where if you just happen to suffer a you know major blunt impact to the chest right at this time, it can send you into cardiac arrest because it's it's sort of like your heart like then stops and never resets, and so it doesn't go to the next cycle, which is like one not something I think like you know could ever happen. I didn't, just didn't realize, didn't know that was a thing. And two, the fact that, you know, we've had football played for however long and, and people happened, take, yeah. you know, blunt force trauma to the chest all the time. And this hasn't happened shows you like how impossibly small the window is. Yeah, agreed. And it's one of those things and like, I hate to say this, I hate to bring it up. I'm not trying to be a doomsayer, but I'm surprised we haven't had more super serious stuff happen in, in, in games yeah. like this. The- like, you you know, you look up like the stats on like youth football around the country and how many kids and teenagers pass pass away every year from football related stuff. And like, you know, you know, NFL players are, you know, in great shape. They're treated a little better. You know, like there's people watching for that kind of stuff. But at the speed at which they play and the way, you know, athletes get better every year and like the speed at which we move and the things that they can do physically, it I'm surprised that this something like this doesn't happen more often but like you said the 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 odds of this are so astronomically low you know that, that that's something but you know just any kind of related thing to yeah. this. And, and we're used to the major injuries in football being you know head neck spine concussion yeah, related you know like the kevin violent, everett 15 yeah. years ago or so uh and and things like that so this is kind of new and it really like to me it, it just further demonstrates how barbaric of a sport north american football is yeah. And we really do need to be, you know, rethinking uh, how, you know, freely we play this sport. Uh, you know, obviously at, at a professional level, you can always argue that, like, you know, the players are willing to do it. They obviously, you know, get compensated well in order yeah. to, to risk it. But I think as fans, we often lose sight of that and how much they are, you know, putting themselves on the line to uh, to provide entertainment for us. So definitely a, a stark reminder of that fact yeah absolutely and you know I, I bring this up you know we talked about this a little beforehand because uh another huge thing happened in sports last night and obviously overshadowed and rightfully so and almost can, nobody can really I, can i just ahead, remark sorry, no, on one more thing before we sure, move on of course, and of course. I, I don't know if you saw what skip bayless's response to this was i did but he you know it sort of refocused or tried to refocus it on the importance of the game itself. And then yeah. like this game need to ha- happen because of the playoff implications, just completely missing the larger mm-hmm. picture and the most important aspects of this. So that a human being is more important than a fucking yeah. game. Yeah. So I, if, you know, if one glimmer of something good can come out of this, I hope it is the downfall of Skip Bayless because he is a piece of shit and has been a piece of shit yes. for many years. It was, um, it's like one of those things like where the NFL is denying now that they told the players you have five minutes to warm up, get the game going, and the coaches just told them to fuck off. <laughs> they're just straight denying that now? They're, yeah, they're denying it now. They're like, that never happened. We never said that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And apparently the coaches were like told something. The coaches were just like, no, <laughs> like, like these players aren't going to play. You know, I've had people talk to me about it too. They were like, yeah, you don't think they should play? I'm like, did you, did you see the players like in the emotional state they were in? Like what was going on? Do you think they want to play football? I mean, I wouldn't want to. Like, maybe, yeah. maybe I care about people more than the average person, but, like, you know, maybe I'm a little more sensitive than the average person. I don't mean that as an insult to anyone. I think that's just true, you know, that I'm a little more, you know, emotionally empathetic. aware when it comes to stuff like that. Yeah, empathetic, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a hard ass or whatever, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, like... Yes, you have a very taut ass, Tannen. Sh- yeah, sure, thanks. <laughs> I appreciate it. But, yeah, I-, I will say this. I'm Whoever 
uh, one of the, you know, the people who, what's the word here? Like the media people for here. I, it, last night, if I was anywhere in, around that with Goodell, I'd been like, do not tweet. Do not say anything. Good, like, because Goodell's a giant asshole, too. And I'm like, I know there's like a 90 something percent chance that Goodell was like one of them to play the game. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and just, like, I'd be like, don't say anything. Like, don't do anything except for through official channels. Like, don't put out personal shit. But um, the thing that I was referencing about um, that this, like, overshadowed that, that that's crazy, and this this has a little tie-in with you and what we were talking about earlier with, like, you know, your favorite team, is Donovan Mitchell had one of the greatest games in NBA history last night. And unfortunately for him, personally, just, just for that, obviously, like, this is a horrific thing that happened. But, you know, one of your, you know, favorite players over the last, what, eight years? How long was he with Utah? Uh, five in Utah. So, so over the last like six or seven years, one of your favorite players in the NBA had one of the biggest games in NBA history uh, last night. And uh, yeah, we're not really going to hear much about it. But let me read the stat line for everybody at home, just the, just the, the regular stats. Uh, Ross, he had eight rebounds and 11 assists in a game. That's, that's pretty good, right? Yeah, especially for a guard. Especially for a guard, right? But w- what if I added in 71 points, Ross? 71. That's a lot of points. Yeah. <laughs> Note, note that the team scored 145. So he hit about half. Yeah, just under half. Um, they won this game in overtime. They were down 21. It is the biggest comeback this season in the NBA. They were down 21 in the second quarter. Yeah, I'm looking at the point differentials by quarter, and it is a stark contrast to the first and the second yeah. half. He had 58 at the end of regulation, including the last three, which occurred on a made free throw, then an intentionally missed free throw that he himself rebounded and then put back up for the game tying points. Then he scored 13 points in overtime to win the game. It was unbelievable. This was also a very efficient game for 71 points. You know, we look at Kobe's like 81, like efficiency, like, you know, talk. Oh, everybody who scores as many is efficient that night. You just can't. Yeah, but he was. I mean, him especially so. Like, it looks even more so to me than some some of the ones we've seen. Like, yeah. You know, like, usually there's, like, 40-something attempts here, but he only had 34. You know, he went 22 for 34 from the from the floor, but he made 20 of 25 free throws, so that helps a lot. But he went 7 for 15 from behind the line, which is, which is like, pretty absurd overall. Yeah, that's going to be... 22 of 34. That gives you a true shooting percentage of 78.7. That's pretty League good, League average is 57. Yeah, to give you good, an idea, Ross. league leading is probably about 72 right now. Uh, so, yeah, 78.7 is absolutely absurd. Um, to The the real impressive thing to me is the assist number. I, I ended up finding the stat that the previous record, so the, there's only been about a dozen or so 70-point games in NBA history, and half, half of, of them are, like are from Wilt Chamberlain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Half of them uh, are Wilt, yeah. The, other, the others are from... Uh, uh, Kobe Bryant, his 81. There's David Thompson, who scored 73 on the final day of the regular season when he was just chasing the scoring title. David Robinson, who on the final day of the regular season in 1994, also. was also chasing the scoring yeah. title. So both their teams just fed them the entire game because they had nothing else to play for. There was Devin Booker's 70-point game about five years ago where they were getting blown out so badly that the team just kept feeding him because they had nothing else to play for in that game. So he had 70 in a loss. Um, and then I believe there's Donovan Mitchells. I think there's five that aren't a will. Yeah. Uh, and maybe five that are will. And the and Devin Booker had the record for most assists in a 70-point game with six. And David yeah, Robinson had five. Double, yeah. Donovan Mitchell had 11. Hmm. And most of those assists went for three-point shots. So he, had ni- he accounted for 99 of their points. 
I just looked it up. You missed one. Uh, Elgin Baylor. Oh, yeah. I missed Elgin 8. Baylor's last night, too, when I was trying to think of them off the top sure. of my head. I always forget about Elgin's. Um, yeah. And then, um, you, and, you know, this is also, you know, in an incredible comeback game. If you look at it, his game score, which is sort of an amalgamation of box score stats into a single number, he has the third highest game scores for since, like, 1984. Higher than Luca's recent 60, 21, and 10 game. Yeah, higher than a, the Embiid game last December. The yeah, only two the ahead of him. I think was top 10-ish all time. I went it, and looked was, at that. It was third. In, they only have game score back to 84, I think. Sure. But uh, that they've but, done this. Because yeah. uh, I think Jordan has the number one game and Kobe yeah. has the number two game. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was Jordan and Kobe. Jo- it was Jordan's career high game, which is 69. Jordan never had a 70. But yeah, he had that an incredibly efficient though, yeah. 69 against Charlotte in 1990. And, and, had, then, uh, and then Kobe's 81. Yeah. So... And the game score uh, in, uh, accounts somewhat for efficiency. Like you get uh, subtracted points for a, a missed shot and missed free throws and things like that. Um, and then at you know subtract points for turnovers, add points for rebounds, assists, steals, blocks, points, things like that. So uh, yeah, just an absolutely absurd game. Uh, you know, class act from Donovan in the post game presser. All he talked about was uh, you know the the situation with the Bills. Uh, and hoping, uh, hoping Demar Hamlin was okay. Yeah, Demar Hamlin, and and uh, wishing him well. So, yeah, uh, no surprise there from Donovan, who's always been, you know, yeah, uh, in the same city. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, same same state, you know. So, so yeah, um, yeah, incredible night from him. Um, he's been unbelievable. And the thing is, you know, as somebody who's watched almost every game he's played for his yeah. career, yeah, the things he's doing this season are not significantly different than what he did in utah he is just sort of leveled up his level of efficiency like it was all there was always something that he and every year is a different thing that he just kind of slumped in last year for whatever reason he was way off on his catch and shoot threes which are easier than having to take it off the dribble because you're already set have your feet under you you have your balance so that your shot is well balanced and so he had been one of the best catch and shoot three point shooters for like three years straight he was like you know well over 40 percent and then last year he just like dipped like to like 37 or something i don't know the exact number and that depressed his three-point numbers but his you know his off the dribble shooting was great last year the big thing was his mid-range and, and rim finishing went up so it was his two-point game that, that got better this year he's just kind of put it all together like you're seeing his absolute best mid-range game, his finishing at the rim, and his off-the-dribble threes and catch-and-shoot threes. They're just all working at the same time. And all of them have worked at different times. You know, occasionally you'll get two or three going, but he's just four for four firing on all cylinders right now, and it's, yeah. it's great to see. It's just like a pitcher pitching a perfect game. You know, like yeah. just like, yeah, it's, yeah everything worked. Yeah. But it, he's been doing it all season. He's just He's just entering his prime, I think, pretty clearly. Like, you know, he's 26, 27 right now. He's entering his prime. So he is just, this is him at the peak of his powers doing all the Donovan Mitchell things. Yeah. And I, uh, so I was going to add a 30 more, point a game score. Yeah, exactly. I was going to add one more little small thing. Cause like, I, I kind of understand where you're coming from with, you know, Freddie Freeman leaving the Braves last year and Dansby Swanson, you know, leaving this year, he's going to be playing for the Cubs in the upcoming season. I've watched practically every game of these players careers, you know, being the kind of fan that I am and watching almost every single game. And when I say almost every game, I mean like 99% of them. You know, uh, it's so weird to see them somewhere else. And, like, I'm one of those people, I still root for them, right? Like, I don't root for them when they're playing against the Braves, but I still hope they do well. You know, I don't do the whole, like, I'm going to burn their jersey when they leave thing. Like, you know, I get that with some of the instances of, like, you know, being angry or feeling uh, betrayed by a player. But, 
you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan of the players. I'm a fan of the culture. I'm a fan of the team, etc. But uh, let's let's talk about what this podcast is actually about. Let's talk about some magic. And uh, we are leaving 2022 and going into 2023. We kind of have like a little recap of what happened in 2022. You played a lot more competitively than I did. In 2022, um, you know, I did a lot of coverage in 2022. I even set my coverage game up, did some magic stuff, might be doing some more in the future. I'm actually in talks with some of the stuff coming up. So hopefully I'll be doing a good bit of that. But I do feel like I may step back in at some point this year. We'll see. But uh, yeah, nothing to really report on the results side for me. I know that you had a really great year overall, at least with like results. You know, with like, you know, how you were like your average finish had to be extremely high just from an outside viewing yeah. point. I, I cashed and, every tournament I played this year. Is that good, Ross? <laughs> and I, I, I top eighted what, like four or so? No, uh, three. You know, you made me think of this. I just went and looked this up. I don't know if you saw Nick Miller's tweet yesterday. Uh, it was about 24 hours ago. Uh, just because some people were talking about this and, you know, obviously I got tagged in this and like, you know, I retweeted and talked about a few things, but check the quote tweets on that tweet, Tannen, when it comes up. Sure. 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 Are you quote tweeting one of these? Hold on. Let me take a look. I am so great. Yep. Yep. You <laughs> this with, I am so great. Yeah. I love it because, um, anybody didn't see this, uh, Nick Miller, that's at Nickthos N I C K T H O S. Uh, he retweeted what, um, if you ever watched like SEG coverage or, you know, you were around Twitter the days or even on the screen, you know, they put up like the leaderboards, right? But then they put up like all time leaderboards and these are stats only for two day opens, but they put up the two day open stats with, you know, open top eights, uh, like all the, I think this is the top 35 players to, uh, to, to play with open top eights. Uh, then they have their opens play, their top eight percentage and their wins and sitting up in the number one, I'm sorry, it's about 34 players because the first line is actual stuff. But sitting up there with the most open top eights in the history of the two-day opens, Mr. Ross Merriam. How does yeah. that, that feel? I, I just want to get it updated from th this year. I, I played uh, uh, three two-day opens this year. Sure. Or f four. And I top eighted three of them. So yeah, this get, is like the legacy SEG tour. Yeah, uh, and I don't mean that like format-wise. I mean like this is from yeah b before coming. I'm, I'm up to twenty, Tannen. That's pretty impressive, buddy. With then, uh, no extra wins, though, right? You got some second. Place I, I got a win in Columbus. You, I got, a, you got another Columbus. win. I forgot. Yeah, I yeah. forgot you won Columbus. And then you, if you, you did then so if you well add the two year, days, yeah. or the, if you add the one days, I've got another eleven of those, and then two invitationals. So I'm up to thirty three total. I'm almost at my age. I need I need one before. Uh, it's pretty this year, Ross. Um, one of the things I actually retweeted this and talked about this that like one of the things that didn't get a lot of press or enough press on this I felt especially because if like they came in towards the end was how dominant the Canadians and company, as I like to call them, because Daryl Ayers gets lumped into the Canadian crew, even though he's not Canadian, yeah. you know? But when you look at these guys, like you look at, um, let me find this, like Matt Dilks, you know, he was 12 for 36 for 33.3%, which is just fucking mind-boggling, right? Then you go to Edgar Magiesh, you know, he had 13 for 40, so he was 32.5%, which is, again, mind-boggling, just unreal. He also, during one of these seasons in which he was playing the SEG tour, he also made gold on the other tour, which yeah. is good God, right? And then right above him is Daryl Ayers with 14 open top eights out of 37 played for a 37.8%, which I believe is the record right now on here. You know, someone with a smaller sample size might have a higher record, but like 37.8% is ridiculous. Like let's compare this to, and this is not 
uh, anything on you. Let's compare this to yours. You're 17 for 78 on this list, which is 21.8%, which I think anything over 20% is absurd. Right? Like, I think yeah. it's just actually absurd. Like, that kind of conversion rate, like one in five, you're, you're top eighting. That means you're competing to win one in five tournaments, which is unreal. And, and again, this is not me tooting my own horn because I'm 12 for 40. So I'm 30%, you know, of top eight uh, of opens that I've played in. And the fact that I'm not even close to the number one person on this list just tells you how dominant these guys were and how good they were. And I kind of wanted to take a little, like, you know, we were talking about what we're going to, you know, uh, talk about this weekend. There's not a lot of new stuff to talk about. We'll talk about, like, what we're looking forward to coming up and maybe something that's, you know, going to dominate this year in modern. We'll get to that in just a minute. But we kind of wanted to take a look back, you know, with, like, what happened with our years. And then this came up right before the show. And I was like, I kind of missed this. I kind of wanted to talk about this a little bit. But I will say the one thing that does suck is there's still that little win column over there for me. And there's still that zero. And, you know, Ed, Edgar still got the zero, too. So he, he t- like someone someone actually tweeted at me. They were like, uh, 12 top eights. You'd think with uh, 12 of those, you would, uh, you know, you would have you won one, close. right? And then Edgar tweeted, like, the handshaking thing or whatever for me <laughs> to him. Because like, we always talked about this. It's like, I guess maybe we should have teamed up at least once or twice to see if we could have, you know, yeah. broke the curse or whatever. But... You know, uh, we're up there with Caleb Shearer, and, like, this is no dump on Caleb. Amazing player, but he's played 105 Opens and has zero wins. But but I kind of don't buy into this because he won an Invitational. So, like, kind of doesn't count, you know? Yeah, he's, he's got a trophy. So. Yeah, he's got a trophy. He's got a token, too. Like, he gets to yeah. double up. So that, yeah. that that zero isn't nearly as, you know... There's a big asterisk yeah. next to it, yeah. Isn't so. nearly as, as heavy as yours are. Yeah, because like if you, if you go down, like the only other people that have zeros that are on this list are Jeff Hoogelin with four, you know forty two played and zero wins. Uh, David Long has zero wins for thirty three, which surprises the hell out of me. But like almost all of this is done purely in the in the legacy format. Again, that's not me saying anything against David Long. Amazing player, much better than I am. And also he's got a higher percentage. He's ten for thirty three, which is pretty absurd. And then uh, Zach K- uh, Caney also thirty two played. You know, has a zero as well. A player that's found some pretty big success on the uh, the the main tour in the last few years, yeah. As it, well, it goes to show you that you know that that in, the stat in particular is not particularly predictive, right? There's just a lot of variance in top eight matches. You know, you lose one, you're out, and and you get, you got to win three in a row, and so that you know there's a lot of there's obviously a lot of emphasis and extra coverage placed on who yeah. you know ends up lifting the trophy at the end of a tournament but when if you want to look at the players who are you know the best the first stat you want to look at is who is getting into those top eights who's getting the most bites at the apple and then you know you, you know given infinite time we would probably all converge to somewhat similar you know win rates based uh you know that are proportional to those top eight rates yeah, and so like, it, there, there's there's even more to that too. There's even more minutia to it because there's been top eights that I've been in where I'm just like, I have zero percent chance to win this top eight, right? You know, or I know that I'm a huge dog. Like there's a top four where uh, where one of my top fours where I remember I had to make it through infect and then burn if I wanted to win the tournament as a Tron player, and I had already <laughs> won like multiple absurdly bad matchups. Like one of them even like on camera was like, "There's no way I run this hot." And I remember I played against. Uh, I played against Zan Syed in like a semifinals once where he's playing Infect and he ended up winning the tournament or whatever, which, you know, was a great weekend for Infect. But I remember when I played against him, I think our match, including sideboarding, took eight minutes. <laughs> like I just, I just died <laughs> like immediately every game, you know, because it's one of the worst, most lopsided matchups you can have. And then, you know, there was another one in like one of my team top eights where like, I remember I was going into top eight and I had made a trip with Jonathan Job. You know, we had drove to that event. It was one of the few that I could drive to. 
And uh, he was like, "Hey, good luck in top eight. And I handed my car my car keys and was like, "Hey, go get the car ready. We're gonna we're gonna drive home after this." And he's like, "Wait, you're you have top eight, right?" I'm like, "Yeah, but we're gonna be dead in like 15 minutes." And we and we died in like 15 minutes. <laughs> like it was not close. This was like right before you were on the team and stuff. But all of us had bad matchups and we were on the draw. Like I got turned two like two games in a row. Like I, in legacy, I was just dead, you know. And so. <clears throat> Yeah, and like you said, you know, there's a lot to this, and it kind of, you know, makes me wish for the glory days. I miss it quite a bit. Also, uh, I don't know if you pulled this up, the, the names on this list are pretty absurd. Like, you can active, like, I actively know every one of these guys on yeah, this list. This, this is the who's who from the history of the SCG Tour. There are some people that were more around in the early days, right, mm-hmm. with with one-day opens, um, but like Jer- Jerry's missing off this list, but yeah. like, that's, that's because he didn't play as much and we all know that he's the goat. So like, yeah. So, uh, you know, the, I think the names that, you know, you would need to add to complete it are obvious, but for the most part, like this is, if, if we had an SCG tour hall of fame, which, uh, is looking less and less likely. <laughs> uh, you know, what? Here, here's the, thing. I always wondered about that. If, if they yeah. did one, there's, uh, there's like the obvious, like first ballots, like you would go in, I think Jerry would go in, like Tom Ross would go in, like a few other people, like Todd Anderson would go in, right? The people who just have like, you cannot argue with any point of their, of their career, like all of the things. I always wondered like if they, you know, you know, you kind of have like the, the shows and baseballs where they talk about their hall of fame cases. I always wondered like if I'd even get in. You know, because like depending on who's voting and what and what they think, or if there's like parameters, but because like if it would be held against me so much that a I only played for a small amount of time, and b you know I don't have a win. And I remember we were talking about this one night at dinner because like I I'm not going to name names, but I know certain people who wouldn't vote for me to get yeah. in, who who would be in the Hall of Fame themselves. Yeah, you know? it would sort of depend on like who got a vote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, like they had a pretty clean way to do it for the, the Pro Tour Hall of Fame, where it's just lifetime pro points. Yeah. Uh, it, in addition it, to, you know, staff and stuff. Things. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know exactly how, you know, SG would have done it, hypothetically speaking. Be like a bunch uh, of the players, but, Nick Miller, you know. Yeah. Like, that was that was always something I had uh, I had hoped would happen eventually, and now uh, I've kind of given I'm up. Not, I'm not going to lie. I kind of hoped for it a little bit because, like, yeah, I, I, you know, I have the thing where, like, I, I, never won, I never won a tournament, right? Like, I don't have the trophy. But I would have loved to have been like, well, at least I'm in the Hall of Fame. You know, yeah. like, like that kind of thing. Like, you at least have that feather in your cap you know that your twitter bio like seg hall of fame you know like you know it's pretty cool that like you know players like when you look at you know twitter bios of like you know redo because you know it's like mtg hall of fame like you know or whatever you know some of those players like even though they've kind of killed that recently but i don't know maybe i'm getting nostalgic or whatever this just brought back up some you know some old feelings and some old thoughts and stuff of it and it's like man i, I kind of miss it like i miss the competition i miss the game mattering more i feel like it doesn't matter as much uh you know we have less events less often less coverage and I, when I say matters more or less, I don't. I'm not trying to, to dismiss anything that anyone's accomplished in the last year. Not at all. I, did, I didn't yeah. mean it that way. I meant that like we're we're seeing there's less just, of it. Yeah. There, there's, there's not as many great. eyes on things. Yes. There's not yeah. as much discussion of things. Like there's just there's less energy within the competitive Magic community these days. So yeah, like any accomplishment isn't gonna. It's not gonna feel quite the same. Um, so yeah, I, I get what you're saying, and and that is unfortunate. Um, and hopefully we you know continue to kind of work our way back. I think the the regional championship is really cool. We're going to have the return of paper pro tours this year. That should be a, a jolt um, because you know I know people have missed having those weekends of coverage and you know coverage of online events just isn't quite the same. 
It does um, not. It just hits different. It really, yeah. really does. So uh, I'm I'm excited for the the Pro Tour in February. Really happy to be able to uh, you know participate in that one and hoping to keep the the hot streak rolling that uh, uh, developed last year. Yeah. Speaking of that, we definitely need, you know, we'll be talking about that on the, on the cast over the next few weeks of Ross's preparation. You know, I might even help out a little bit. We'll talk about that a little bit, but uh, you know, if anybody watched coverage of the RC in Atlanta, you know, you and I talked about this for some reason, I think most of the VODs are down, which sucks. I don't know you know, why they took them down off Twitch or whatever, but if you watch any of the coverage, you know, I was doing a lot of the interviews and the most common question that I asked about people was like, you know, are you excited like about the return of paper magic? Are you like, is this something you're looking forward to? And it was just a resounding excited yes. You know, I, I remember your response to it. You know, uh, you and some of the old guards that I was talking to a lot. Like, you know, I interviewed like Jim Davis and a few other people who, you know, been around forever, played in pro tours, understood the yeah. gravity of it. And then the players, I got to interview a bunch of people who, like, I got to tell one player he didn't realize it. Like, one of his wins, I'm like, yeah, you just qualified for the pro tour. Like, and he was just so excited in the middle of the interview. He's like, I've never qualified for one, something I've always wanted to do. And I didn't think I'd ever have a shot at that. And, like, right there, that clicked in my brain where I'm just like, it, maybe it's going to be okay. You know, like, there is the, 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 the next generation of this. And, like, look, you're, I, I'll say this. The people doing competitive magic today are kind of getting the shaft in comparison to the, to the end, uh, to, you know, to what we had. It's nowhere near as good. It sucks. But, like, everybody's kind of excited about it because it's, hey, we have a lifeboat now. We were all drowning, and now we have something to hold on to. They didn't give you much. You know, they all gave you, like, the door. You know, where one of you can get up on the door, and there's not room for two people or whatever, to, float, <laughs> to float in the ocean. But really, yeah, there's room for two people. But really, there's, yeah, that's the Titanic reference. If you for everybody at home, if you didn't know, but and I hope it gets better. You know, because like the re- the results have been pretty good overall this year. You know, a ton of people showed up to Atlanta. We'll see what happens in San Diego. Hopefully, I'm there. You know, hopefully you're there. You know, we get to we we'll get to hang out. You know, uh, get to see a great city. Hopefully, the the numbers are so insane and so good that Watsi is like, okay, people want this. Like, we're going to do it. Because you're missing all the stuff in the middle is the biggest thing for me. There's, like, you have your local, like, PTQ stuff at LGSs. And then you have, like, the RC in the, in the in the Pro Tour. And there's literally, like, nothing in between. You know, back in the day, we had the SEG Tour. We had Grand Prix. You know, we had stuff like that. You, get, you know, you have tours like the NRG series and stuff in the middle. And nowadays, you have almost none of that. Like, NRG is one of the only things that's going on. And they're, I think, taking a smaller step back next year. I'm not sure. It looks like they're doing less events. But... They might just be concentrating on better sites for them, which, honestly, good for them. That's what I would do, you know, kind of thing. And I just hope that players today get to have the experiences and the opportunities that you and I did. And, and like, you know, it makes you realize how blessed you were, like, and how good we had it. You know, we didn't realize at the time. We definitely lived through the best era, at least so far, of competitive magic. Yeah, and so... Sorry, I just got a little nostalgic. I was hoping everybody at home is okay with that in that chat. Now, let's take a look forward, Ross. I know you've got some plans. Uh, you, know, you mentioned a little bit of it, but uh, with what you know for sure, how's your your looking forward? Um, yeah, going to be a, a somewhat slow start to the year, I think. For me, I'm not. I think for most people too. Yeah. Yeah, like I'm. I'm not going to go to the SCG in New Jersey that's coming up. Uh, instead, I'll be doing commentary that weekend for Apex in Caldwell, Ohio. So if you want to watch some uh, high-level paper magic coverage, that's a a local series that is growing in that region in uh, Southeast Ohio and the surrounding area. If you're in that area, I would encourage you to, you know, come down. They are uh, expanding the play space so that they can start holding, you know, tournaments of three digits worth of players and do it comfortably. 
because the the store the original store space holds about 70 to 75 i think um something in that range so uh, but they're expanding into a uh, a space next door to hold you know a, a couple hundred so uh and the the quality of play continues to improve uh i know that you know the first time Todd and i went down there the some of the games were a little rough and this last time Ryan Hayes was super impressive. I ended up actually playing against Ryan the next week in Louisville. Uh, played him in Pioneer and lost to him. Uh, but he, he this was a modern event the, the last time Todd and I covered in early December. And he just piloted Merktide beautifully and tore through the field. Uh, you know, there's several players that are putting up finishes. Um, one of the Abadi brothers made the, the top eight of the Louisville uh, showdown in, in modern playing uh, prison Tron that, you know, they're both uh, fixtures in the apex gaming series and uh, t- guys like TJ Radizak, who um, I think top 16, both of those energy events. Uh, so the, the, the people that are playing on the store are starting to branch out and play other major events and, and do well. I know, uh, you know, one of them, one of the bodies also, I think it was a mean body also qualified for the pro tour at the RC finished like 20th or 25th um so yeah we've got we're start starting to see those players really uh, improve and uh you know demonstrate some great skills so the tournaments are a blast to cover we hope you turn into that or show up to the store in person to play yourself um but yeah i, I think that would have been my only possible tournament in january so really it's just going to be about prepping for the pro tour i'm still thinking about uh at the SCG and indie and because it, it's like pre-release weekend essentially and they're they, it's a 20k sealed open for the new set and i'm wondering like i haven't played high level limited in paper since 2019 <laughs> you know almost I'm 3 years reaction you piqued my interest i I'm, I'm thinking about going to this now yeah um and i i kind of just want to get practice playing high level limited in paper and just you know feel that again um but you know i don't i don't know if i can uh, convince anybody else around here to, to go so we'll see about that um, I mean, you know, in Roanoke to drive. Yeah, for everybody so, home, I was pointing at myself. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, not, I'm not super interested in flying, um, but I might. So I got to start looking into that actually. Uh, but so, uh, but I will definitely be at the SCG in Charlotte, which is two weeks after the Pro Tour. Actually, the week in between, I'll be in Ohio again, commentating the Apex Gaming Invitational. So I got two commentary gigs the first couple months, the Pro Tour, maybe a couple opens. Um, and then the, the one in Charlotte is the, that weekend is the first weekend of March. So that's an easy one. That's only like two and a half hours from Roanoke. So that's as far out as I've planned my year so far. Uh, you know, especially with the pro tour coming up, I don't want to look too far to the future. I want to kind of be focused in the present, uh, though I haven't really started dedicated testing. You know, I don't really feel the need to start doing things until I see the entire, uh, you know, set list for Phyrexia all will be one. Uh, especially because, you know, Pioneer is you know, unlikely to make any major changes, but, um, you know, so I'm mainly going to be focused on testing limited, but we'll, uh, so uh, still in a bit of a holding pattern, but that's kind of what my early schedule looks like. And, uh, you know, we'll just kind of take it from there. I guess I could look into some RCs because we're into season three, aren't we? Or some yeah, RCQs, I, think, I mean. Yeah, I mean. The only reason I know that is because uh, one of my friends is really heavily trying to qualify for it, and he's playing this weekend. But yeah, it looks like season three is uh, is going on. Yeah. Speaking of that in season two, I'm hoping to be involved in San Diego, like I said, and I've been reached out to for another big event that's going on to possibly being a part of that, where it would be remote coverage. Don't want to talk too much about it, A, because nothing's official, B, don't want to jinx it, you know, if you believe in that kind of stuff, but... 
uh, hoping that's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, we're we're we'll just going to morph into a coverage podcast, aren't we? Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still waiting for the the time where you and I get to do coverage together, and it's going to be ridiculous. It's going to be amazing, but... It's going to be difficult with so little blood in my head. Yeah. I... <laughs> Jesus. I, took <laughs> a second. I, didn't, I didn't catch that one right away. You know, I was like, where is he? What? Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh that's what he meant. <laughs> oh. It's stuff. So, yeah. That got going on, and then, I mean hopefully flesh and blood this year um you know it's it's probably my only gripe ever with that game is i just never know when i'm doing an event like i'd like to know you know ahead of time please you know because like what are we actually doing you know kind of thing but uh yeah that's not an actual complaint like obviously they've treated me extremely extremely well and I, i i can't complain there so um but other than that, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna play as much as I can this year. Like I said, I played a ton over the last month of Magic. You know, I played Infinite Cubes on Arena, not on Magic Online Arena, because I actually like the Arena Cube much yeah. more than the I've, online. I've heard so, from a lot of people that the Arena Cube is actually better. Uh, my opinion is it's it's very much better. Now, honestly. I do think that Vintage Cube would be better if people weren't stuck in their ways about it. I don't I, like. I understand that it's cool to just be, you know, doing linear, powerful things. And when you do them well, those decks are good. But that is not the only thing you can do in Vintage Cube. Okay. I spend most of my Vintage Cube drafting nothing but one mana pieces of interaction and crushing people with them. Because they're really good. That's why those one mana pieces of interaction see a lot of play in formats like Legacy and Vintage. So every time I watch people cube draft, they're, they like... Half the time, they end up with a kind of mediocre linear deck when they could have ended up with a good interactive deck. And I promise you, if you just like, I know the cube is ending right now, so this is too late. But next next year, when it comes up, I promise you, if you just draft reasonable interactive decks with like signets and one and two mana pieces of interaction and you know reasonable threats, and especially pitch spells, anytime I get to cast like a Teferi and then force a will them, the game is over. Yes. Just to, so why is everybody passing Force of Will so that they can, like, you know, try to turn one or turn two, reanimate a Gristlebrand? It, it doesn't make sense to me. But uh, to get back onto the Arena Cube, I don't think I've ever watched anyone play the Arena Cube or know anything about it. My favorite thing about it is it just seems really balanced in the fact that there are multiple aggro decks you can play. There are multiple mid-range decks you can play. Yeah. And there are multiple control decks you can play. I assume it draws from the entirety of the arena card pool, so it's sort of yes. like a pioneer level powered yes, cube. Yeah, because yeah, you have uh, you have the alchemy cards too. As okay, well. so you're a like, little higher with the alchemy cards. Yeah, like like for example, I was really lower on the blue card that puts power nine into your deck. There's like a tooth, the oracle of whatever you know. Yeah. Um, I was like a lot lower on that card right away, and then I tried it in a few decks that like had a lot of draw power in them and stuff. Because here's the thing: I never want to top deck Mox Jet or like turn eight. You know what I mean? Like that's not that's yeah. not what I want to. Whether I'm casting a bunch of divinations or concentrates and things, yeah. I want to draw the box and so I can immediately yes. cast spells that I draw. But like you know, I posted a picture on uh, on Twitter once where I had like multiple of the creature in play because I had copied it multiple times, and I had like Rao Zarek in play, the one that can copy a spell, and I had like two time walks in my hand. <laughs> And then I had, like, the Sphinx in my hand that cast it as the Notorious Reaper from your graveyard. So I was just like, my opponent did not get another turn in this game. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> I took all of them. <laughs> yeah. It's like, minus Rowl, copy Time Walks, up Rowl for those, play the Sphinx to play this Time Walk, copy it again with Rowl, do 
watch, rinse, and repeat. You know, we're just gonna, you're literally not getting, like, they, they conceded eventually, but I was like, they let me play that for way too much, and I was having a blast. I was like, yeah, let me finish, because it's, it's arena. They're, they're just trying to be nice, Santa. They're trying yeah, to let you have your fun. Yeah, just let me, yeah, let people have nice things. Yeah, exactly, right? And I had found, like, the super secret deck in the cube that was, like, pretty good, where, like, mono green was actually pretty damn good and wasn't really expecting it. But, speaking of more in the future, and stuff that we're expecting this year, you and I were talking about something uh, that could happen in Modern, and, you know, I was kind of bringing this up because I know it's, like, your pet deck and your pet card, and I'm wondering, Ross, if we're going to see a ban in Modern sometime soon of the card Underworld Breach. You know, I, me, uh, you know, Jesse Robkin and, and Corey Baumeister, we have all tried very hard to spread the gospel of Underworld Breach to the heathenistic masses uh, and their merc tiding ways, and it it seemed like the it was everyone was slow to adopt it. You know, they didn't want to put grinding station in their deck. They didn't know how to play it very well. It's too complicated, and so we were just content smashing tournament after tournament with our broken deck, and um, you know, leaving it be at that. But towards the end of this year, it seems like people are starting to catch on. Now, not only do we have more people picking up the, you know, picking up Jeskai Breach, we have other variants emerging with Teamer Breach and Gruel from Aspiring Spike, but the card Underworld Breach is now starting to branch out. Uh, I know, you know, Spike recently had a stream where he went 10-0 with a Grixis Shadow List playing several Breaches. The new Is It Prowess deck is playing Underworld Breach, at least a lot of the lists are, uh, and is doing reasonably well. I've even seen lists of is it Merktide with Breach, and then I've seen this new variant of the co- of a combo deck playing Baral, Chief of Compliance, Dragon's Rage Channeler, and Manamorphos alongside Underworld Breach. So if you have enough Dragon's Rage Channelers, Manamorphos can start netting you extra mana with your Baral, and you, you know go off that way, um, and eventually win with Grape Shot. So it seems like players are starting to really explore the possibilities that Underworld Breach gives because you know it's such a flexible and powerful card. That you know, it's no surprise to me that there are many other shells where it can be effective, uh, and you know, if a lot of these shells start becoming successful in you know high level tournaments, then I could definitely see the uh, you know underworld breach drawing the ire of Watsi, you know, especially since it is banned in both Pioneer and Legacy already. So it's a little bit weird that it's not banned in the, in the format in the middle. Yeah. And, like, the, the thing for me is it's starting to hit that that line to get banned on multiple points, right? One is, is the card too good for the format? You know, it, like, and it's it's in the best deck, right? And we've been seeing that in Modern the last few years where if a deck is the best deck for an extended period of time, eventually something will happen, right? It takes a little while, but eventually something will happen. We'll, we'll, they, give, they give the format time to breathe, right? You know, they give the format time to adjust, see if we can find ways to beat this. So you're, you're seeing it be very good. But also you're seeing something that's happened with cards in the past where the card is just such a good magic card and so good on rate and so good at what it does, it starts to get shoehorned into any deck that can cast it practically. So like you're seeing it in Murktop, like you said, you're seeing it in Shadow, like you said, you're seeing it in the deck that's built around it, you know, Breach, right? And you're starting to see it show up as just a good, powerful card that has just so much synergy with like just good cards that cost one or two, which is modern, like at some <laughs> yeah. point, yeah, it just is modern, right? So at some point, you're like, maybe this card is a little too good for this format. Like I've seen it in Burn, like actual factual, like Burn and Prowess are playing the card now. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, this just makes sense. You have one Prowess creature left. You draw this card, and like all of a sudden, they're taking fifteen 
You know, you're like, play this thing, play three cards from my graveyard, take a million. Yeah. Like, or you're like, you know, draw it when you have four lands of play and you just double bolt them. And yeah. then the game ends that way. Yeah. And it's just a six damage card. Like, yeah. Bolt you three times. Oops. Yeah. Like, this is, uh, you know, obviously, you know, we've seen a lot of ways in which this card can be built around with different loops with whether it's grinding breach uh, or grinding station or, or tome scour loops with hidden strings and Lotus Field and Pioneer or whatever the hell they did in Legacy. I think they were using brain freeze with it and like LEDs and things like that um, to go nuts with it in Legacy. So there you can certainly maximize the card by building all you know building around it entirely and become this incredibly powerful but still somewhat flexible combo deck but you're right like underworld breach doesn't need that to be effective it's good when you're just playing a normal game of magic filling your graveyard with spells and fetch lands and, and then you know you once you reach the mid game and both players hands are exhausted then you cast underworld breach and you like play a threat from your graveyard kill their threat and then canter off a mishra's bobble and you know, getting that three for one off of one card is incredible. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, it, it feels to me, it, this sort of feels like the floodgates opening with Death Shadow. Remember when, when people finally, uh, I think it was Jerry and Raptor first played at a Grand Prix, like the fair Shadow deck, because previously Shadow had been part of that, like all in combo deck with Teamer Battle Rage and, um, become immense. You know, they played Wild Nacatl and uh, and Monastery Swift Spear as well. But it was just like, a you know, this all-in sort of Zooey combo deck. And uh, when Gitaxian Probe got banned, everyone's like, well, that deck's dead now because you needed all that, you know, free damage. And, it, you know, Jerry and Raptor said, you know what? Like, we can just play this card in a normal Jund shell and just be more efficient than, you know, your opponent's. And then that evolved to Grixis Shadow, and since then we've seen Mardu Shadow and four and five color Shadow lists, and you know Shadow has been a staple of Modern ever since then. Um, that definitely is what that's what it looks like to me. We're, we're following a similar path where all it takes is one person to break the mold and demonstrate to everyone else that like, yeah, this is possible. You know, the, you know, we we've been missing this for the last two years, uh, and the, then the floodgates open and. Um, you know, unlike Death Shadow, Underworld Breach being this like combo card slash source of card advantage is definitely a much more ban worthy card than a one mana creature. Yeah, hundred percent agree with all that. Just the ubiquitousness of all of it, like that, just starts to be a problem, right? You know, you know, you remember back in the past when we'd see top eights, like you know, people talk about like dismember at one point. You know, like I remember because like every deck had dismember in it. You know, yeah. and just things like that. And it's like, is this actually good for the game that you need this specific card in like every deck to compete? And, you know, I wonder if stuff opens up a little bit, you know, if we remove that card. Because, you know, Modern's kind of changed a bit recently with, you know, Yorion not being the, the best deck anymore. We're back to, if you can be efficient, be efficient in Modern. You're trying to do as much as possible with as little mana as possible. So you're seeing decks like Hammer and Murktide be the best decks and Breach be the best decks because they're doing the most stuff and the most impactful stuff on turns one and two. And yeah, I would put scam on that enough. list too, but that's sure. it. And scam, sure. I always, I, there's something about it. It's not like I dislike it, but like my, like my body doesn't well, like calling that I actively that dislike it, so. Yeah, it's like, it's like, it's like visceral. Like, I don't want to say scam, you know? It's like, <laughs> it just sounds wrong Makes to people who are Makes me feel listening. dirty. Yeah, it's like, did you get scammed? And not the good Las scammed? Vegas way. Yeah, not the good Las Vegas way. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, what happens against scam actually does, you know, you do hear about it from other places and stuff, so. But yeah, so like, I think... 
I think Modern's like pretty fine. I've been watching coverage of it recently and watching people play. It looks it looks okay, but like I'm I'm wondering about Breach and its longevity through this year. Like if 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 I was a betting man and I, I am at times, and there was a bet on if Breach was going to be legal at the end of the year or not, I would I would say you're you're favored betting the not. Like I think there would be a small a, a small push that way. Yeah the the key to me is going to be if it ever gets widely adopted in is it Merktide. Merktide is just one of those decks that, regardless of how good it actually is, is going to remain really popular. It, you know, the, the mid-range decks that are mana efficient, can be aggressive and defensive, have some card advantage and generic answers, are always going to be really popular. Because those are decks that give you opportunities to outplay your opponent, and they are emotionally satisfying to register because there's no deck other people can play where you feel completely helpless. It's not like reg- registering dredge where you're just hoping to dodge Leyline of the Void most of the day. You're like, I can beat it a couple times, but I'm not going to be able to beat it consistently uh, and other linear decks you know, like that. Or even just like you know, playing a, a more aggressive deck and saying, like, I hope my opponents don't bring the right removal spells. You know, if your opponents bring the right answers to Merktide Regent, you can still just draw a bunch of cards and counter their stuff and kill them with a Dragon's Rage Channeler or find a second Merktide Regent, things like that. Though I will say the one thing I think the Merktide deck is lacking a little bit in is raw card advantage sometimes. And if Breach can help you out there, uh, it could really sort of round out that deck nicely and take over those kind of flex spots. You know, people play two Blood Moon's Main or Archmage's Charms or maybe a main deck Dress Down or an extra creature. You know, if you just have two Wonderworld Breaches in those spots, doesn't that sound really good? I mean, I know people bring in a bunch of graveyard hit against you anyway, but like, you, you know, it doesn't take that much to turn the Underworld Breach into a card or two. Mm-hmm. No, 100%. 100% agree with you. Yeah. Like, and unlike, you know, a deck like, you know, Grinding Breach, where they sit on their Soul God Lantern or Tormod script against Murktide Regent, they have to use it aggressively because they're trying to stop the Murktide from coming down. So once they pop it aggressively, then you're free to just refill your graveyard and generate your value a little bit down the road. Yeah, and like that's the thing, right? It's like you said, like you don't see, you don't see cards like this in the history of, of Magic like that, that that have this kind of flexibility and this kind of like just raw power and stuff, and like with a very small opportunity cost, right? Now there is a little bit of a cost when you play it in Murktide. You know, your your graveyard is a resource, though. It's funny that we call the deck Murktide, and there's like starting to cut Murktides. You know, yeah, they all have like two or three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they all. Yeah, exactly. Right, and. I get it. You know, the format being way more efficient and about doing as much as possible. Like when your average deck you're playing against is either the mirror hammer or um, what do you call it? Or uh, what's the other really good deck we just talked about? Hammer, the, yeah. And these decks that are doing broken things on like turn one or two, it, you probably only need to draw one Merc Titan during the game. You know, you only want one of those cards clogging up your early hand that doesn't exactly do a whole lot or it might get pitched, you know, to, a force negation, you know, in some matchups, but just because it's the, the blue card you're going to cast the least early. So, <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's interesting to see where Monarch's going to go from here. I might have to play it. That's what a lot of the Season 3 is around here, even though I'm interested to see how much standard we're going to have playing at local stuff, since that's going to be one of the formats for the upcoming Pro Tours and stuff coming up. So, like, I'll say this. I, I've heard from a lot of people that standard's actually not that bad right now, that it's actually pretty decent, and... I'm pretty excited about it, and if it becomes a real format and gets played a lot, you know, I'll, I'll put some time and effort into it. Uh, you know, I've always been a fan of the format, so looking forward to trying that out and have that be, like, making a comeback in Magic. 
That would be great. I think if standard could be a you know regularly interesting, compelling format and one that you know makes sense for high level play, uh, that will be quite welcome. But the problem is that after years of it not being that, the onus is on Watsi to prove to us and put in the effort to you know prove. And I'm not sure if they're willing to do that. Now you know we're going to see standard occur at some high-level events. They're, they're not going to completely get rid of it, but they're going to need to commit a pretty significant amount of organized play in order to get players back into it. The same way that they've done with Pioneer over the last year or two. You know, Pioneer was left for dead for a while, but we've seen it come back now, and now the, the format is thriving, you know. So it's not like that's impossible, but it's just a question of whether that's where Watsi wants to place their resources. 100%, 100% agree with you. Uh, do you want to do some overrated, underrated before we get out of here? Yeah. I got about 10 minutes or so before I got to head out. Sure, sure, sure. All right. Uh, Robert Doxoff says, unsanctioned tournaments that allow proxies. Um, underrated. Agreed. Uh, I think it's just a good way to grow your community and let people play Magic the way they want to play it without uh, emptying their wallets. Especially now that, you know, DCI rating or Planeswalker points aren't a thing. Yeah. You know, there's no real need um, for tournaments to be sanctioned. I don't know what exactly, like... Like, are they allowed to use, like, the companion app for unsanctioned events? So, the like, were or whatever for events like oh, that? For casual? I'm sure. I'm, yeah. There probably there's a casual thing. Yeah, there's got to be. There's got to be. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a great idea. I think if, you know, local... Um, we're at a time where local stores and, and local communities can start really building up those communities as separate entities where, you know, if they want to play with a unique ban list or, you know, with proxy rules and things like that to get people in, um, you know, th I think they can do that and be successful at doing that. So, um, yeah, I, I would be down for that for sure. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, Gold says Alice Cooper. Um, overrated. I just don't think his music is that good. Yeah. I have almost no opinion here. Sure. Uh, Joe says Alice in Wonderland. Um, I don't. I've never read the original, and I. It was a was it a I Disney have, movie? It's been forever, forever. And yes, it was a Disney movie. I think multiple yeah. times. I don't. I can't remember the last time I've seen it. So I'm pretty indifferent. Sameish. Uh, it does always... play into one of my favorite lines in The Simpsons, though. What's that? So you know how Troy McClure always introduces himself like, "Hi, I'm Troy McClure." You may remember mm -hmm. me from such blank as he always lists two things. And they're always related to whatever he's doing now. And sure. so there, there was an episode where uh, they they're in a, he's in a doing a video for a traffic school, and he goes, "Hi, I'm Troy McClure. You may remember me from such traffic safety films as Alice's Adventures Through the Windshield Glass and the Decapitation of Larry Leadfoot." Oh wow! But Alice's okay. Adventures Through the Windshield Glass always gets me. That one's pretty good. All right, uh, Joey says Alice's Restaurant, but I don't. That is a television show, I believe. Sure. It's like a, a cult classic sitcom. Don't don't know what it is. Um. Oh no! It's a oh, it's a movie. Okay, not a um, based yeah, on a song of the same name. Yeah, um, I, I yeah I've never it, yeah. seen it, so hard for me to Sorry, say. Sorry, Joey. Uh, Flackle says Alice in Chains. I think uh, a little underrated. Um, great. I was a big fan. Yeah, they're they're probably pretty properly rated. I don't think you know most people. Uh, are pretty big fans. Uh, Cathal says coffee. Oh, um, well, so I don't drink coffee, and I've never really liked drinking coffee, but I enjoy the flavor of coffee in other things, mm -hmm. which is weird. I don't, I don't quite understand why. Um, still to this day, you. 
So it's I, 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 does that mean it's like properly rated for me? Yeah, I don't know. Probably properly rated. I do think it's slightly overrated with like how much people are just like addicted to it. You know, the yeah. kind of thing. Like, I mean, I, it's almost like a fucking. It's 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 almost like a uh, an epidemic in this in this country. Like how much people consume coffee. Oh, it's yeah. like kind of ridiculous. You know, but I I think for the most part. I don't like how bitter actual coffee is. Yeah, I, I don't like. But like if you can coffee. combine it with other things and hide that bitterness and just get yeah. the sort of roasty notes of the coffee itself. Yes, hundred percent there. Uh, IPA for breakfast. That's a great name. It says Alice from the Honeymooners. Um, probably underrated. That yeah, show was horribly there. sexist. Yeah. So sure, definitely with you. Bryce says drafting with greater or fewer than eight players in the pod. Um, so greater is very overrated, less underrated. Like the I'm more you table, either. the better. Well, yeah, not, not like, necessarily better, yeah. but like the more tolerable it is. I, I think four gets a little awkward, but I like drafting with six. I, I can't too. It's just, you have to understand that it's a, it's a different kind of draft. And there's yeah. another skill that comes up. You know, you have to really think about, you know, what am I going to wheel, et cetera, et cetera. But, but I like being able to wield that information that you get, uh, yeah. you know, to like to taking a slightly... Position taking a slightly worse first pick because you know you're going to wheel another playable night. Like, you're like, oh, this white card's not as good as this green card, but there's three playable white cards, so, like, I'm probably getting one back or four playable yeah. white cards. It's like, you know, it's kind of underrated and stuff, too. So, um, this is also from Bryce. He says, AI-generated art for personal use. Uh, everything aside of, like, taking jobs away from real people, I thought it looked really cool, but let's try to keep the jobs with real people. Yeah, but, you know, that's not a problem with AI art. That's a problem with capitalism. Mm-hmm. Sure. All right. We got a bunch from uh, the flood with Doc and Ziggy, and I'm gonna get your. I'm gonna ask them to you real quick. I want to hear your opinions. Right. Seattle Sonics. Uh, underrated. I hope also, they get a also, team again soon. Also underrated. And it's it's looking good for them. Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, underrated. I love playing that game as a kid. Yeah, love that game. And apparently the movies are actually pretty good. I've I seen them. Also, I watched the half of the recent one. I can't. I don't understand why people th- talk so highly of it. It was nonsense to me. One of the good things the internet has done, actually, was, I don't know if you saw that, they, when they originally released the first trailer for the first Sonic movie, it looked so bad. The internet, like, bullied it so much, they delayed the movie and redid all the digital Sonic stuff and made him look more like the game, and it looks way better. Like, the original look of Sonic was actually kind of scary. <laughs> all right, Sonic the Restaurant. Um, overrated. Their food is, is not very good. Their beverages are pretty good. Restaurant is very used very loosely here. Um, I'm going to go with properly rated, but just because I don't eat a lot of fast food. Like, I really don't. But for some reason, Sonic is one of my go-tos when I'm on long road trips. And I don't want to, like, stop somewhere. I want to have something I can eat in the car. And I just go get, like, you know, popcorn chicken or whatever and, like, tater tots. And I'm just like, yeah, give me something salty and crunchy. And I'll just, like, you know, pop it in my mouth as I'm driving. Because, like, eating, like, something you have to eat, like, a burger or whatever, it's messy. You know, you need two hands a lot of time. But anyway. Yeah, you want finger food. Yeah. The song "Closing Time" by Simisonic. Um, uh, un- I'm gonna say underrated. It's been I've heard it too much, but I enjoy explaining to people that aren't aware of what the song actually means what it means. Well, I mean, you gotta elaborate. Now. It's it's about uh the act of being born. Oh, okay. The the one of the key lines uh is uh t- time to go out to the places where you will be from. Oh, You're literally okay, sure, leaving sure, sure. the womb and then leaving the hospital, sure. and, like going to your first home. Um, yeah, that makes some sense. And it, so, and this is not, this is not like a fan theory. Like the the guy who wrote it, uh, Dan right. something. So, yeah. 
uh, yeah, it's just come out and, and said that's that's sure. what it's about. Um, underrated for me as well. I used to pull, like one of the first EGL, L, one of the first LGSs where I like really cut my teeth at Magic and stuff and, and learned how to play and learned how to play better. Um, every day when it was when it was closing time, they would play this song. Like the guy would just put it on yeah. uh, on the music thing, and he would he would say he's like, "It's closing time. It's time for you to get the fuck out." <laughs> <laughs> also, one of my favorite Pro Tour memories was Pro Tour San Diego. Uh, this is Portrait Dragon's Maze in May of 2013. Sure. And we were out at karaoke Saturday night after the Swiss of the Pro Tour is done. And there, the guys, the host is trying to close up. And we uh, convinced him to get one more song. And Ben Friedman starts singing Closing Time. And like 15 or 20 Magic players got on stage and started singing it. And then we all started singing it to Christian Calcano. Oh, nice. <laughs> he was the person who was taking us home that night. Sure. I know who I want to take me home. Calcano! Yeah. Yeah, so that was really fun. Calcano, we love you. I hope to God you're listening to this. I miss that man. I did get to see him in Atlanta. It was pretty nice. But I think that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. Um, we'll have a lot more for you in the next episode, and we'll see you all soon.